Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica, back with yet another episode of the show. Today we're going to be looking at Through the Never, or should I say Metallica colon Through the Never. This is their 2013 concert film slash narrative diversion you know we're going to go through the whole thing we're going to detail the production process the performances Dane DeHaan aka Trip his journey his surreal misadventure throughout the whole thing and just before we get to all that and to today's guest of course you can follow us at Metallica Pod if you enjoy the show and you want to get access to stuff before anyone else, you can go onto our Patreon. You can support us there. And episodes like this will go on there first. At the time of this dropping on the main feed on YouTube, there will also... Well, there's going to be quite a few things coming out. I've got a lot of things planned in the future. But one thing that will certainly be on there is the first of my big historical lookbacks on all the members and affiliates of Metallica. The first one's going to be with Jason Newstead. That's going to be with Jack Chambers. Um, we're recording that in a few days. That's going to go from everything from... You know, Jason in church. We've got loads of anecdotes of him as a schoolboy, uh, you know, pre Flotsam and Jepsen bands, all the way up to Ozzy, the Chop House, and even Shudder, Rockstar Supernova. So I'm really looking forward to doing that. Uh, also, you can hop onto iTunes, leave us a review over there, YouTube, like I mentioned before. Get in touch with me, metallicapod at gmail.com. As we've now finished, essentially, the original run, quote-unquote, of the show, reviewing all the songs, all the guests. Um, I'm just looking to do stuff like this, like we're doing today, you know, Through the Never, or like the Jason episode, I'm doing a uh, Metallica at Glastonbury episode coming up shortly as well. So, um, yeah, if you want to hop on, message me over there, and we'll sort something out. But today, I am joined by someone who I've had on the show a few times before. We spoke about Ronnie, we spoke about Stone Dead Forever, and all the way from Edmonton, Canada, Phil, how's it going? Going really well, Tom. How are you? I'm very well. And, you know, we kind of had to have you on a little bit because you were at one of the two shows in Edmonton. So Through the Never's derived from you know, a couple of concerts also in Vancouver as well. But you were there at one of the filmings. As two of them, actually. It was at two. both Edmonton. Damn. Yeah. And uh, I mean, so we're going to get into all of that history as well and all, all your affiliations personally with the concert series. But um, let's talk generally about the concert film. Are, are you a fan of the medium? I am. I, I, I like the idea of, of you know, we're usually we, we consume this 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 media, this music through, you know, on a, on a disc or, or these days with streaming, whatever, through headphones, through speakers, whatever, to have it translated to a visual thing where, especially in this case where, you know, it was shown in a theater with a 3D IMAX and all the surround sound and stuff. It just kind of changes the way you're going to consume it. And so it changes the experience and anything that's new and different. I love to try that. So I love it when things like this are, are, are made. Any any particular favorites off the top of your head of a concert film? <laughs> Not really, no. Uh, I'll I'll watch anything. Sure, you know, I for there's a Christmas a couple of years ago. We got a free preview of a, I think it was called the Hi Fi Network or something. Okay, and they just stream of concerts, and I just I didn't get out like a Tina Turner was on there. Sure, nice. why the hell not? Yeah, whatever. I was great. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to see a sort of Tina Turner with a through the never stole story running through it. I think that'd be a fantastic combination as Proud Mary's running. I mean, yeah, for me, uh, stop making sense by Talking Heads. I love uh, the Last Waltz. By your uh, your country mates, the band, um, you know, you know, there's, there's, there's so many out there as well, and and it's worth getting across for those who aren't aware of Through the Never. And I should say as well, I hadn't watched it until a few days ago. I for some reason had never seen it. I was aware of it at the time. I was kind of at university. It wasn't as diehard Metallica as I am now. And then when I started the podcast and I was making notes, I was thinking, you know what? I'll save this. I won't watch this now. I'll, I'll, I'll wait until the day. It hasn't really made any difference to my notes or anything like that. But you know, as as a fan, talk me through. Do you remember hearing about this coming out? Rumblings of a film or? Yeah. Well, they had. So I was in the Metallica club, obviously at the time, mm -hmm. and. There was announcements. It was, they kept calling it Metalla Movie because it obviously didn't have a name yet. And then details would eke out that it was going to be, it might be 3D, and then it might be 3D IMAX, and then we didn't, you know, just that they were doing that. And of course, the 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 guts of the sort of the prep work was all like they did eight shows in Mexico City mm. before it came to Canada, and even then they still didn't have a title. In fact, even as far as they were shooting, they were still calling it Metalla Movie. They didn't announce it was called Through the Never. 
was doing a bit of research on the early days, the production days of the film as well. There is a great multi-part documentary on YouTube that goes through tons of stuff. Like there's a whole 10 minutes on the Tesla coil and stuff like that that we see him ride and a few interviews and stuff. And Kirk actually says that they were thinking about even doing a movie in the 90s. They were just trying to work out the ramifications of it. And, um, you know, it's just like you say, a 3D movie, unless we forget in the 2010s i guess kind of with avatar we had that renaissance remember when every movie was seemingly 3d oh boy do i ever and like, i was not a- no i'm not a fan either like there's, 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 what do you gain from that a slight depth of field it just looks kind of blurry if anything yeah exactly and then the thing is too i've got a lot of friends who can't uh they can't wear the 3d glasses mm-hmm. so you have to they, they either they can't go see a 3d movie with you or they have to you know suffer through like you say that blurriness yeah yeah, I mean, it's it, it, you know, it's a money grab. Ultimately, you pay slightly more for the glasses and for the experience, but 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 yeah, that's all it is. So May 2010 apparently is when the gears started moving properly in Belfast. Peter Mensch called a meeting, and you know he's really pushing for this. It seemed, and Lars and the band were kind of turning him down. You know, is this we're going to record a greatest hits? And he was saying more. This should be greatest bits, i.e., the iconography should be played for the stage. You know, which we'll get to, which is one of the best things I think. About through than ever all those kind of awesome props uh, that emerge and um you know the idea then for it not to be a concert movie per se uh, one of the producers says in the documentary you know it's a narrative movie in which a concert takes place what what do you make of that idea because you've got to give it to metallica yet again playing by no one's rules like they could have just done one direction i know katie perry did one recently which is a big i mean fucking snm2 they could have just put the performance out there we're in canada it's death magnetic greatest hits 20 years 30 years whatever but no they decide to plop dane dehan in the middle of it and have this story through line like what do you make of that i loved it i mean again i i like the idea or one of the things i like about metallica and and certainly their haters will say it's not true but they they do take chances mm, absolutely <laughs> Exactly that. They could have done. I mean, it's, we've certainly seen from the Death Magnetic era how many concerts have come out on just on, just concert footage from that tour yeah. between Magnetic and Nimes and the one that was in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Like, there's all kinds of just those. They could have just done another one, but throwing in a narrative and one that isn't like, uh, look, I'm the last guy who's going to get symbolism and whatnot in movies. Sure. I'm a very straightforward kind of dude. I'm not going to lie about it. The fact that this narrative isn't hammered home like this is this is a good guy he does the good thing and this is the bad guy like a clear defined everything it's in there sure but it's not hammered home it's not sort of ham-fisted is great Uh so you can you can apply your interpretation to it and get that meaning out of it that you want to and, rather than just hey look we're playing Sandman again yeah 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 completely yeah because they've like you said they've done this so many times on so many tour cycles as well so they might as well spice it up in some sort of way and you know if i'm right there hasn't really been a concert dvd since then maybe that i don't there's not been one on hardwired has there? i don't think they have not yet no no it's kind of it's kind of interesting isn't it because uh, you know modern production techniques and and their youtube channel has kind of supplanted that there's almost no need for that when every night you can just show a song from fucking you know belfast or mexico or whatever in perfect hd quality and the sound and you know is it, you got you got to think like the money aspect and that comes into it as well because we'll get to that more towards the end but i've got some about that too <laughs> they, yeah yeah exactly like the guys took a big hit on this and you know the reason was uh Mensch was pushing and pushing and pushing, but ultimately they couldn't get investors involved and they had to put their own money up front. And yeah, James makes no bones about it in one of the interviews. He talks about his kids saying, What am I going to get when you're dead? And he was just saying, You're going to get a bill basically for a giant toilet. So uh, yeah, this, I mean, this was massive. I think it was like 40 trucks for the whole show. And apparently 20 trucks is a fucking giant show. And it is a Swiss army knife of a stage. But um, let's get into it. So we open up descending on a stadium descending on a cityscape uh in a real swooping shot as whiplash is crunching underneath and uh what did you make of this opening section where we're in a car park it reminds me a little bit of heavy metal parking lot that iconic uh, short documentary from the 80s and um a battle vested beer bellied fan climbs out his car and starts to chant metallica on his on his roof yeah first in last out i think he was shouting as well mm-hmm. But I mean, it's you know, it's it's fun to watch the the swooping over the city was kind of cool. Like in the in, in the IMAX, I will admit that was neat to see. Yes, because with great big screens, anytime they do a flight scene like that, you kind of feel like you're flying, which was which was cool little intro. Totally. And that is that's that's downtown Vancouver, I think, because mm-hmm. uh, it looks like GM Place in the top. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, the messenger 
skateboards by, who is our protagonist, who doesn't really say anything, Trip, played by Dane DeHaan. Um, were you familiar with the actor at all before or since? Had never heard of him. Yeah, I knew him from a few things, actually. He was, the first time I encountered him was in, I don't know if you've seen the film Chronicle, which is kind of like a found footage superhero movie. No, I haven't. It's a good movie, actually. Very good movie. Uh, probably one of the better superhero films. And he was actually in one of my favorite HBO shows as well, In Treatment, which is kind of a very um, innovative show where it would be a therapist meeting patients. And it would be shown Monday to Friday. So on Monday, he meets this person. Week one, week two, da 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 And he was actually a kind of troubled teen that was in an uh, earlier season. So he's, he's, quite a, he's quite a decent actor. I mean, you don't really see his range in this, other than being shocked and doe-eyed at mayhem. But, um, I mean, he, he does. He does the work, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he did a fine job. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's doing tricks on his skateboard. We talked about symbolism earlier. Like, I, I, I'm constantly, you know, I'm an English graduate, and I just kind of like that stuff anyway. I'm looking for kind of meta links and textuality and stuff. Was this perhaps a passing reference to James on the tours of your bands? It's possible. I mean, I don't know if it's... Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit tenuous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because the thing that we see in these early moments before the concert kicks in, uh, he, in a way, uh, meets the guys, so to speak. Hetfield passes in a souped-up, fire-breathing car. Uh, Kirk's guitar is bleeding, and Kirk says that he's cool, and, you know, it's all right for him to go backstage and stuff. One of the things people seem to have a problem with, Phil, at least looking online at the reviews, uh, the Rob section, Rob in that giant wall of CG amps, yeah, I mean, the way they're all introduced, it's very cartoony, mm-hmm. which is cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of fun. But I, I don't know what – I know Lars gets a lot of hate, too, for just kind of looks like like looking like a dick. Really. Yeah, like a jerk. Yeah, he's, he's got the toothpick yeah. in his mouth, the snarl on his face, and yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but um, I, I didn't have a problem with the wall of amps from Rob. Because, again, I mean, that was – those shots, for sure, were in there for the theater experience. Oh, you yeah, absolutely. Walk, walk Rob, those, those sub-cabinets – in the theater just running mm-hmm. away mm-hmm. no it's quite cool actually you sort of crab walking around and the foundations are, are crumbling and you know we hear the good the bad and the ugly fade in as electricity fades and then um i mean dane or trip or whatever I'll, I'll call him dane comes into the stadium and we get the, the, the you know the the crowd the time lapse and we appreciate the re- the arena and here we can see what the stage actually looks like and, and you know, will be behaving like throughout the concert film and one of the things i love about this i love the floor underneath i love what they do with it i love how creative they are with the imagery and how it interacts with the band i just think that's such a great addition and and really makes it theatrical you know beyond the concert film in general yeah definitely there's a i think i saw the same documentary you did because mm. i think it's it sounds like it's the same one and for me it's on the on the bonus disc of the blu-ray release right. for the movie and one of the cool things about that that whole is all LEDs on that stage platform, and then they had software that would track the band members. So in certain shots, you'd have the band members walking around the stage and like sparks coming out of where they're landing. Mm-hmm. It was very cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome, and you know. You know, for instance, in Creeping Death, which is the first song, we see the blood seeping slowly across the stage underneath all the members, which is cool. And uh, yeah, here we get into the actual song itself of Creeping Death. And I will say, and you know, I'm not trying to body shame. I'm just a little, you know, an amateur metallic historian here. But I love how James looks. James looks so healthy here. I had the exact same reaction. Very much so, like not that he's unhealthy now, or you know, yeah. now that he's late 50s early 60s however release that it's bad that he's in the shape that he's in but looking back no. you know being so used to that image of him currently yeah. to look back only eight years ago and go man he was in great shape yeah really i mean um i think on metal your podcast is a skinny james and it is kind of like that death magnetic james he doesn't really have much facial hair he's always got the vest on because you know if you maybe it's just because the last time i saw him properly was on the big screen snm2 and he did look a little beleaguered and a little washed out in that perhaps but here he's just so sharp and that plays into so much of the performances as well we slip straight into the creeping death you know pulsating version there's a really nice moment in kirk's solo as well where james and lars are like next to each other and lars keeps looking at him and um i mean throughout the cinematography is excellent the camera works awesome and it really captures the enormity of proceedings without sacrificing the intimacy um, what, what did you make of this version of creeping death oh, i thought it was great i thought it was a perfect choice to open the uh, the movie with and the mm-hmm. concerts too yeah. Uh, and I, you know what, my note was exactly the same as yours. That that bit where during the solo, James is up on Lars's drum riser. Yes. I love seeing stuff like that. Anytime you, you you get shots of the band having as much fun as the crowd is, mm-hmm. it's a home run for me. 
And let's talk about the crowd, because there's a hell of a lot of crowd in this, isn't there? There's like, it's re- it's a real well-lit stage, so it's not that dark, only at certain points. Often it will focus on, you know, just a guy with a Mohican head banging or a swarth of people in front. Like, they, they really, like, the director and the cinematographers really seem to want to put the people front and center. Absolutely. Both for, I think, for the experience part of it, as far as, you know, the movie sounds and looks better with the more crowd shots in it, as well as there are certain times, like if you're looking at a level shot of Lars and then you have the crowd behind him, it helps with the 3D part of it, right? It helps that immersion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we need to feel a connectivity between Dane and Metallica. And, you know, we sort of see them cross paths early on. And that's the extent of it, really. But we do see him, the messenger. I I quite liked how we return to him. He's chanting die and fist pumping with all the rest of the audience. Yeah, for sure. And they certainly make a point later on in the interviews of, of Dane DeHaan saying that, he he interpreted it as the kid would rather do nothing trip would rather do nothing more than sit and watch the show mm-hmm. and he just can't, he doesn't get a chance to do it no 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 he's standing in the aisle he's he's pulled out and I lo- you know, there's so many nice little flourishes in here that i think are really clever and quite original and i love the fact that he's pulled out of the uh, you know out of the concert and down into the bowels of the arena but you know technically it is a live concert so creeping death continues in the third verse and we can hear it almost above us almost as if you're down underneath you know a few floors down like the sound design there was great yeah and i like the way that we follow him as he's pulled out yes. so okay it's sort of our avatar for this experience we're now we're leaving too almost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he, he he pops a pill and gets into a truck. He's basically told that he needs to find a truck in the city that, that has run out of gas and needs to grab something that the band needs. You know, it, it's very vague here. It's not a kind of in-depth thing. The, the scaffolding is loose, but it's still quite satisfying. Um, when he gets in his truck, there's a hangman. Uh, there's a talisman that's described by one of the producers. Like, what, what, what do you make of this? Like, because obviously it comes to life later, spoilers. But like early on, what, what do you make of that being with him? You know, in the beginning, when when they first show up, you don't understand the significance it's going to have later on. And I just thought it was cool imagery. I, I love that it was there. A, the, a friend of mine that I went to both the show and the movie with is to this day very upset that he can't go buy that doll somewhere. Yes, I'm, I'm surprised they don't sell that doll. I mean, Metallica sell everything else. So why right? wouldn't they? Yeah. Very confusing. But I love that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we get into Bells then, which is the second track, which, you know, obviously masterpiece uh yeah it has such a march and a, and a breadth to the song and it really allows the boys to chant and the crowds get cooking and hear the bells play on stage again the image of the bells tolling underneath them i love the spanish civil war soldiers i mean you know my note really here is that just james is so healthy and so alive like you know he really he, he's just full frontman mode here yeah very vibrant lots yeah. of energy lots of interaction with the crowd back and forth and with the band, too. Yeah. And in this one, in Bells in particular, Rob, at this point, is fairly well known for that crab walk thing mm-hmm. that he does. And in, in Bells, we get a three-man, I don't know what to call it, like a crab walk off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it back and forth. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> we do get that. And uh, there's also a nice shot uh, above as well where kind of Lars is almost right bang in the middle of the screen. And on either side, the screens underneath him are properly symmetrical and i really like that as well there's just lots of cool stuff here that really kind of had me seeing a band in a different light you know um like uh for instance the snm concert video i was watching the other day briefly and there's just so many cuts it, it's almost unwatchable at times you just you know it feels really schizophrenic whereas here the, 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 there's a patience there's an experience behind the camera that i really appreciate i mean it, it's it's a modern metallica concert so of course we have fuel early on and fuel kicks into it. This is hot, loose, and clean as the coffins come down. I mean, you saw them in person. Those coffins are enormous. They're crazy. Yeah, they're huge. Mm. And they look like they weigh a ton, and it was great fun standing underneath them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> what, what, what did you make of this version of Fuel? Oh, I loved it. Mm. I think you're going to find that's my response to most of this yeah. concert. Mm. Uh, I, I think I have a bit of an affinity for it because I was there. You know, sure, me personally, it's such an experience. So that kind of is going to bias my opinion for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's fuel. You you have to really go out of your way to fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. They they you know they rip this song. They are. It's really no problem. It's something they can do in their metal sleep. But it's it's <laughs> you know it's uh, it's it's flame central as well. There's no expense spared. Rob's like crab walking into the crowd onto audience members, 
and you know they try to tie things back like we say so it's fuel he's in the car he stops at the light you know the effects of the drugs are perhaps kicking in it's kind of you know back with Dane now in the city and he spots a bloodied handprint did you did you notice this little easter egg because like just because of you know I know you read a lot of comics as well and um you know i'm heavily into alan moore he's he's probably my favorite of all time and he's such a details guy like every name of every character is a subtle reference to something or other so i've always got my eye out for that and i did notice that the handprint was on colson bank which is a reference to the colson house the metallica mansion you know what i did not catch that Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that was kind of one of the only ones i could spot i was thinking there'd be a few more than that and i double checked it on imdb and stuff like that and uh, that seems to be one of the only ones that are there. But yeah, he's uh, he's sideswiped, the truck flips, and we get into Ride the Lightning with actual lightning, <laughs> like a Tesla coil on stage. Like, again, what was that like in the building? Like, that is a ferocious bit of equipment. They could have turned all the lights in the building off. Wow. And that lit the whole friggin' thing. That's it was incredible. And it, I mean... The, the, the one thing that's really tough to get from watching this movie now, even if you've got a big screen TV, a projector at home, whatever, is the scale of how big this stuff was. Mm-hmm. Those Tesla coils were huge. I mean, if you watch that documentary, like you were saying, mm-hmm. they, they reference the sphere of death. Yes, they do. Yeah. If, if you walk into it, you basically get zapped. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and two, they had Zach commenting that if he was at a certain point and when the Tesla coils went off, he had to take his hands off the guitars. Yes. They yeah. were going off. Like mm-hmm. that's how big this shit was, and those Tesla coils go off, man. It was it was because of the scale and because of how bright it was. I don't remember if we could hear it that well. I, I think we could, but yeah. it almost sounded like it was fed through the amps, almost like a sound effect. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize at the time the lethality of it. I didn't realize like we just thought they were lights. Yeah, you know yeah, of mean? course, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they. Uh, I mean, they, they really sizzle on camera they look awesome um james says as you say in the documentary the you know uh, the last uh, on the ride the lightning tour they had a fucking backdrop there's just a picture of lightning it had like a glittery font and here they have something that i think big mick as well says that when they were turning it on um you know it would turn equipment off and change into analog slightly so yeah we have the tesla calls um surrounding the electric chair and this is all going on as ride is going on and there's some uh, there's a really cool imagery as well of prisoners fighting and stuff but for me the shot of this song is kirk doing the solo and behind him just these crazy flashes of lightning it looks epic it does the only complaint i have though is that i mean ride the lightning the song is like 40 percent solo yes there's there's three or four minutes of straight kirk soloing, and it's awesome like it's one of my favorite things about that song about the whole album never mind and they cut to like rob a lot while kirk is soloing. yeah true just makes sense to me. It's a lot of footage in this song of Rob playing while Kirk is soloing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's fair. And what did you make of the choice here of, I didn't really know why they did this, but like there's a bit where James's mic doesn't work, I guess because of the static, and he gets pissed off for a roadie and then walks to another one. Like, was that just to make it feel more real? Was that just to, intro- like, what was that choice? That's foreshadowing what happens during Sandman. True. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of, there's a, yeah, there's a pay wire in the system, yeah. Yeah, that that starts earlier too. Even when uh, before the concert part starts, and Trip is walking through the, yes, the that's true. arena, there's a couple of sparks that fly off, and you know, uh, that that's that. This is all part of that. Because uh-huh. I thought the same thing watching it live. Oh, yeah. Mike died, and you realize, oh shit, and then he looks mad, which you never want to see. Yes. Uh, but then, of course, going back and seeing it the second time paint by numbers the exact same thing happens uh-huh uh, yeah yeah exactly and uh you know it's james flexing his acting chops there before he was on that um i, can't, I can never remember the name of that film he was in with zach efron but yeah that one the, the weird bad extremely dangerous or whatever but um then uh we get into one what do you make of the one performance again just just killer mm. like i loved it yeah the one the one is seriously seriously good and i re- this 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 movie two or three days ago started to get ready for this mm. um and I, literally I'm, I'm at a desk in my basement and i was headbanging through one because you, you <laughs> man when it i'm sorry when it speeds up in the middle there you just can't you can't help it yeah 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 uh, i've been watching a lot of stuff affiliated with this and so on youtube you get loads of recommended stuff and something that came through this morning which i watched i can't remember the guy it was one of these virtuoso guitar youtube guys and it was one man one guitar one string playing one and he plays the entirety of one on one string with tapping i've never seen anything like it before it's absolutely insane 
and wow. we get i know it's madness so guys search that out we then kick into memory um gigantic mechanical struts erect themselves kind of i felt that was kind of echoing the video to a certain extent like it's not like the stage twists but it kind of reminded me of those mechanisms yeah for sure you've got stuff spinning on axles mm-hmm uh, again, this is a really, really good version. And as this plays, um, you know, Dane is is walking through the city. Uh, it's a really well lit performance. Again, we get to see the crowd. We get to see just acres of people, just rows and rows and rows going back. And uh, they sing the Marion Faithful part. And I really like this kind of synergy between the crowd and band. Um, you know, it, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. And I can say that you know. From, from the first show there, being in the crowd, it was the first time I ever experienced the sort of memory sing-along that mm-hmm. happens now. Yeah. And, like, it chills, man. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I love how Hammett, uh, uh, sorry, Het barks Mr. Hammett as, as he kicks into the concluding solo, which... You know, guys, you know I don't really like Load and Reload, but I do think that the intro lick to that second thing, like, just sounds so slick, so badass. Kirk nails it. And, you know, it goes without saying, in general, all four of these guys, top of their game. No notes missed. They are just firing all cylinders. Yeah, hell of a job. And, you know... um, I struggled to see you. I was looking for you, because, you know, again, it is well lit, but you were in the nosebleeds, right? No, for well, for the second, for the second, for the first show, I was in the snake pit. Oh yes, right, yeah. And the second show, I was up in the nosebleed, so I really got to see it from two extreme viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And Dane is walking through the wreckage now. The world is seemingly abandoned at first, desolate and smoking. And this was cool because wherever my Rome plays, but just really the intro, we don't get the full song in the film. And I loved how. Um, the, the rhythms of the song, in a certain extent, were beat out by the cops with the batons yeah. on their shields. Like that was some original synergy there. Yeah, that was a really good job of melding the two. Yeah, yeah, really clever. Like you know, it's kind of um, uh, there's uh, fuck, what's it called? I think there's like a Beatles. There's a Be- there's a Beatles musical film called like Strawberry Fields Forever or something like that. I'm forgetting the name at all. But they do similar stuff like that where the people do the actual actions of the song. And you don't really see that for the rest of the film. But um, that was cool, wasn't it? Just using the intro of Rome and then kicking into something else. Yeah, I, I, I thought like I thought I'd missed it. I went mm. back and checked it two yeah. or three times to make sure my note was right that yeah, we only get the intro. The the full song was played at the show, but obviously for whatever reason it was cut out of the movie mm-hmm. and uh, uh would have been fine which would have been fine if they hadn't cut it out so they could play cyanide because i'm a big champion of a lot of metallica stuff i do not do not like this song interesting not a cyanide fan no never oh. there's a couple of riffs in there that are cool mm-hmm. but i really don't like i don't like the chorus at all okay like, it's just great Fair, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And, you know, cyanide kicks in as the sort of war rages between the protesters and the cops and the uh, you know, the coffins fold downward. And the coffins with the imagery of the people trying to get out. Powerful, right? That was really cool. Mm. Mm. That's just unsettling because it's it's one sh- one whole shot. Yeah. Like it's it's not like they flash it back and forth, whatever they they. On the top of the coffin, there's LEDs there. It's a video. It's the full five whatever minutes that cyanide is of a person trapped in a coffin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminded me, maybe, a, uh, you know, inspiration for their art directors of kind of the hardwired imagery. Like, I don't know if you saw the hardwired tour live, but when they had the cubes and the people screaming inside, it seemed quite similar. Yeah, no, I wasn't able to, to, to make that particular show, but I've seen highlights mm, of it. Yeah, yeah similar thing. What you can do now with LED screens, just putting everywhere. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, you know we get all this all this combat going on, and there's lots of cute stuff that I liked. Like there's a moment where uh, Dane is trying to back away from all the chaos, and he backs onto um, a lobby essentially, and the camera cuts from behind him from inside the lobby. And you just hear like this music playing, and which which I just thought was really really clever. And then that glass shatters, and we have you know the comparison of all the people inside the concert, the mass of humanity, and all the battling outside and then the horseman appears which is uh you know quite an authoritative striking image right this masked man on steed back like yeah and it felt like the next escalation because trip a lot of trips journey for the beginning of it it's just a series of escalations right mm-hmm. first he gets hit by a car then he you know finds the, the two groups of people then they start fighting and now this whatever lead bad guy yeah, yeah. then he shows up so it's the next escalation it is it is and you know again 
I want to say about the screens underneath the band. Uh, maggots are squirming uh, as Cyanide is playing, which is really, really nice. And there's also a nice Lars and James bit as well. They point at each other as Kirk kicks into the solo. I mean, they nail this song. And this is quite a difficult song with, um, you know, a lot of complex changes. But they absolutely nail it. And we get more striking imagery outside as well with, um, you know, Dane seeing bodies strung up and stuff. It's quite vivid. Very much so. And it... it, it it increases the sense of foreboding. Like, you know, he here, sorry, he knows he's in trouble now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This isn't just a, a bunch of thugs fighting it out. Yes. Yes. No, definitely. Uh, and you know, the opening of justice plays as we get into the next song and that plays as he's walking through these hanging cadavers. I mean, nothing can save you as, as James will say in this song. And these shots are dope and pretty effective. I love seeing Doris assembled here, like, and, and all the people working on it. Like, when the statue is complete, like, what a magnificent thing. Like, can they just move this to, like, San Francisco or something and just have it on permanent display? It's insane. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'm, again, biased. It's my favorite song of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so to see it not just live, but to make the final cut of the movie and, and like, you watch the crew build this massive, massive Doris that, Unfortunately, it doesn't get to stay there for too long. No, no. So, yeah, throughout Justice, it's there. It's twirling around. Um, this is a great performance as well that's slightly cut short. Um, I think they take a verse out or something like that. We don't quite get the whole song. The solo comes a little earlier, which, you know, makes sense for the 90-minute runtime or whatever they're trying to adhere to. Um, there's a really cool moment with that legato passage throughout the verses that James performs, like, real, just rocking his head in front of it. There's a bit where he hangs his guitar behind his back as well but yeah as you say the iron lady totters and collapses and i love the fact that throughout the rest of the concert um, there's just the remnants of doris just strewn about between the drums and the amps etc yeah definitely it would have been a weird continuity here if they had a crew come over come yes. out afterwards <laughs> yeah, definitely and uh you know dane is looking for salvation here trip and, you know, he approaches a truck with the Met logo and finds a trucker kind of frozen or incapacitated in the front. And then he finds the bag in the back, the the satchel of dreams, which um, is what he's been looking for. And it's Cliff Burns, right? Well, I mean, they, they go out of their way to not explain what it is. Mm-hmm. And certainly that's kind of the, the prevailing theory, much like I mean, it's it's often compared to the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Which yes, I think is yeah, very similar. You know, a lot of people. Okay, that's that. The briefcase in Pulp Fiction is Marcellus Wallace's soul, mm-hmm. and so they sort of said, "Well, this is Cliff Burton's soul. That's why they need it. That's why the band needs it. That's why it's on stage when they play Orion at the end." Mm-hmm. And I, 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 they leave it open so you can assign whatever definition you want, and that one works fine for me. I don't, I don't need a reason, but that's a good enough. One. Yeah, I don't know if I read that it was his actual bag though I, I know like what the meaning of it can be whatever but i don't know if it was actually physically his bag from the tour oh i don't know yeah i think it might have belonged to him I and mean, if someone can get in touch with us and let us know metallicapodagible.com uh but yeah it's a really cool bag and it kind of looks like something that cliff would have worn like i could totally see him rocking that and uh yeah he gets the bag and uh you know then I think, you know, he sees someone waving afar and obviously it's a trap. And in the concert hall, Master kicks in, pits form, chaos reigns, the crowd are full-throated and they really play this with impeccable intensity, as they always do. Um, I mean, you know, what can we say? (laughs) Another sublime performance of an incredible song. Agreed. You can't go wrong with Battery at any show. No, no. They're puppets. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, either. Yeah, we're about to get into battery, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so as, as, the, as the arpeggios chime out in the middle of Master, that's when uh, Trip sees someone waving and then is led into it. And then, yeah, the, the people kind of go across and then um, the, the fight kicks out as well. There is something interesting at the, right at the end of Master, just before it ends. James bends a note and goes, Wah. he sings the note that he bends. I've never really ah. seen it. I don't know why he does it. It's quite a cool. It's just kind of a unique little thing. I wonder if it's one of those things where after you've done a song a bazillion times, yeah. you just look for ways to change it or, or just in the moment you have an impulse and you're like, fuck it, I'm going to go with this. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, looks, it looks and sounds cool. Yeah, no, no, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It certainly, certainly marks it out. And we then jump into battery, which before we get to battery, actually, yeah. I, I want to ask you a question just out of out of my own curiosity, because when I'm when I'm watching Metallica live stuff, especially this song with especially puppets, I forget this every time until I hear it again. Do you know the pancake story? 
Now, yeah, um, it's said before a solo, Roy. Um, I can't quite remember what it exactly is. Can you uh, regale us? So on the recorded version of Master of Puppets, just before one of Kirk's solos, James yells, fix me. Mm. And it's it, the story is told, at least the version that I heard, was uh, Charlie Benante from Anthrax. When they were on tour back in the 80s, after the album had come out, Charlie, Scotty, and Kirk, and Cliff are all at a breakfast place having breakfast somewhere. And he asks them, what is it that James says just before that solo by Kirk? And I guess there was a, a silence for a bit, and then as breakfast arrived, Cliff, Cliff just says, pancakes. <laughs> and so it became a running joke with those guys. And then eventually, Hetfield started shouting pancakes, or pancakes right. go, in performances. And he does it here, which I had not picked up on until this viewing of the movie. Interesting. Okay, okay, yeah, another, another, another nice... Pancakes. Yeah, another That's nice right. subtle cliff nod there. And um, I think there's a Queen song. I think it's One Vision that they say fried chicken on fried the street. Chicken. Yeah, at the <laughs> end. Yeah, <laughs> you could completely hear it. Like, it's not even head. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, there's, there's the pancakes. And then we get into Battery. And as these Spanish flourishes ring out, um, you know, because we get into kind of fantastical realm here. Not that it hasn't been wild up to this point, but we transgress all physical boundaries. Um, Trip pours oil over himself, uh, self-immolates, starts to attack the hordes gets beaten essentially to a pulp his metallica logo is still visible as, he, as he's batted on like what do you make of this little sequence i thought it was cool i mean you're right we're kind of getting into not surrealist but we're, we're leaving reality at this yeah. point like, where you really can't say this is you know a sane-minded person doing a normal thing no and it kind of neat to me it kind of reminded me I, i'm not much of a gamer but i've played a bunch of games throughout my life and mm. there's a lot of them where you can you can do a, a really special attack of some kind, but you take a bit of damage yourself. Yes. The X Men uh, arcade game had that. Use your mutant power, and you're weakened in your health and whatever mm-hmm. else. There's, there's dozens and, and dozens of games that have done it, and that seemed kind of like the same idea here. Yeah. But yeah, you you know set yourself on fire, and it looks really cool. Looks really cool. Yes. It uh, does. But obviously now you're on fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know the. Uh... Someone on fire uh, on stage, otherwise, obviously, we'll see someone later directly on, on, on the stage here. But yeah, that image plays through the metallic history as well. And there was a nice bit of relation where, you know, he, it's not kind of clear exactly what's happened to him. Are you alive? James asks as well, which is something that he'll just ask regularly. And then suddenly trips in water. And that sort of imagery reminded me slightly of the end of Sandman video. And um, then the open notes ring out as we get into Nothing Else Matters. The stage is darker. It's, you know, somber and lovely. It's a nice moment when James and Kirk just walk past each other as they're kind of harmonizing. The lighters are aloft. Uh, it's a pretty uninterrupted performance from the, the story itself. Um, I love this. Who doesn't love this song? And James nails the solo as always. Yeah, for sure. That I, I caught the uh, the James and Kirk passing each other as well. Yeah, and I just made a comment. I love seeing Kirk with a Les Paul. Yes, 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 yes. He always uh, he always black when he's got there. Just mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so now we're back with Dane, and he's alive, and he's on a roof on the ground um, somewhere, uh, not really clear where. And his little guy, his talisman, is alive. The animation reminded me a little bit of, I don't know if you remember the end of Hero of the Day, the video, where those little robots like crawl in his ear, like kind of at a stop motion feel. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or know, or like uh, some of Tool's earlier stuff too. Sure, sure. I what? mean, over over Christmas, I rewatched uh, a film that I loved as a child, was told as I got earlier, wasn't that good of a film, Rewatched it, still great. Small Soldiers? You ever seen Small the- Soldiers? Like the like the the like the plastic army guys. Yeah, it was kind of like just post Toy Story kind of movie. Yeah, I, um, no, I've never. Have you not seen it? Oh, you should check it out. Actually, it's uh, Phil Hartman's last performance as well. Uh, it's actually oh. quite. David Cross is in it, and Jay Moore, and yeah, it's, it's actually quite well written. But um, but yeah, the animation kind of reminded me a little bit of Chip Hazard. If any any Saw Soldiers fans out there, but um, yeah, again, you know. It, it's, it's a narrative, it's a film, so we have to have the hero and villain face off, of course. So, you know, Dane and the horsemen get into things. And then also within the concert, stuff's going down, the rigging's falling, extinguishers coming in. But this is something kind of Metallica pioneered with cunning stunts, right? Yeah, I think it was kind of there. You know, you talk about the iconography. I think mm-hmm. this is the part throwing back to yeah. that, that part of their career, that tour 
where they had sort of the, the stage disaster. Definitely. And I like that they didn't go over the top with it because they definitely should have done. There's a few things I would have liked to have seen. Like, I think it would have been cool if the arm, if the mob had ninja stars, like the load logo, and were like throwing them or something. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> or there's just something like that. Like, cause, um, that would have been I mean, we didn't mention before, um, but one of my favourite vis- visual imagery, uh, visual images throughout this is um, when the crosses rise from the stage during Master, and it's smoky, and there's lots of just sequences of James just headbanging and just outlined by this big fluorescent crucifix. That stuff is crazy. Yeah, that was a great sequence. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so Dane is on his knees. Um, you know, the, the the world is falling apart. He's kind of behind before this green screen. Quite obviously, this dilapidating world. And um, inside, uh, you know, again, it's going all mental in there. James gets the lights on. Asks the audience if they should keep playing. Asks if anybody is hurt. Da da da. And um, I mean, you know, it's a modern Metallica show. So again, they're going to take it back to the essence. And Hit the Lights pretty much wraps up the main show. Um, thoughts on this performance? Yeah, it was a throwback to the load thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the poor Tori me or poor B Tori me, whichever one yeah. they did it on. And I, I thought it was great. You know, the, the yeah. bringing back the old looking, the old guitars and making it look, oh yeah, we're back in the garage. We all know we're not really, but it was still awesome. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's cool. It's cool as well. Just to see someone with a download shirt in the crowd, the uh, the UK festival, which I thought was quite nice. She said very clear on camera. Um, this is a dope version. Hetfield again. I you know I always say when they tackle the Killer Mall stuff, I love how he's trying to hit the notes. You know his puberty breaking voice was doing all the way back in. You know he's doing that hey! like really, but he's got that experience, got that professionalism, um, and it you know wraps up with um, Dane getting back into the bowels of the stadia and returning, and of course all the crowds going wild. I mean, for me personally, I maybe would have just preferred like a straight up IMAX 3D concert performance with some more symbols on the stage and stuff like that i don't know if you were to take the dane story the trip story outside the incubator of the film and just have it exist as a short piece it would be that interesting i i think it's it's maybe a, a tad flimsy perhaps yeah i, I my feelings were like I, there's a lot of people that bitch about the the, the narrative part of it mm. uh, in comments of whatever section it's being discussed in and it didn't bother me so much um I think the fact that it was it was kind of kept to a minimum. Like, there's not really that much of it. If you took no, it all out, it might be minutes, if that. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that there's not a lot of dialogue. It, there's, well, there's no dialogue, really. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, it makes it more like a long-form video. Like, if, maybe, you, know, on, you, you did a, a couple episodes running down all their music videos, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Did you watch the 18-minute cut of The Unforgiven? Uh, I didn't actually know. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, this it, to me, it's just kind of more like that. It's a matter of taking a concert and inserting things just to either break it up or to to justify throwing it up on a big screen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It didn't bother me, but I can certainly see where people would just be just as happy watching just the concert footage. Yeah, 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 totally. And you know, we end again. Yet another um, nod, really, to Cliff. Uh, this, the stadium is empty and eerie. The credits begin to roll, and the boys play Orion to each other, to no one, to, to Dane, I guess, who's sitting there as well. And this is an awesome version. I kinda I'm being petty here. Uh two things. One, James, I don't need you wearing sunglasses here. I I don't know why you're rocking the shades when everyone else is just normal, but that's fair enough. And also, I don't know if this bothered you, Phil, but it kind of took me out of it. Watching Orion, you know, very reflective song, very pensive, but it, it keeps doing these like le- these cuts to the credits. So it's like the band playing, and then suddenly it's the black and red iconography. Then the band playing, then then directed by da da da. I would have liked it to be a bit more subtle. I think. Yeah, I have the same experience. It's a little bit jarring it's to have stark, them isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you you can really it's a song you can really get into. Like it's mm. it's one of the best, and certainly a, a wonderful tribute to Cliff. Anytime it pops up, yeah, and then to have it be like you say interrupted. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a minor thing, like, honestly, and, you know, I think it's really cool that they ended it here, and you can see the bag and all that sort of stuff, and, you know, it, it ties things together, and we didn't need a moment at the end where Metallica saved Dane or something like that, like, it was nice that they were just these kind of parallel stories that happened to intersect somewhat, and, you know, that's it, like, it's quite brief, isn't it, like, ironically, it's much shorter than an actual Metallica concert. And that's the part I don't get. Of all the effort they went into to, to, to film this, and they filmed the, they did so they were they 
they did two nights in Edmonton, two nights in Vancouver, and then a day of pickup shots in Vancouver where they sold tickets for five dollars with all the proceeds going to a local food bank, I think. Mm -hmm. And so they had five quote unquote concerts worth of footage to cut it down to 93 minutes, including the narrative was a very strange decision to me, especially when you look at the songs they cut out in order to to achieve that runtime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess maybe it was just trying to make it commercial, you know, make it a, a viable I'm product. Yeah. Either that or it might have been the limitation of IMAX, because IMAX sure. as well, because the reels are so huge, has a limited runtime. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Didn't realize that. But um, yeah, perhaps it was a, a mixture of the both. But So you were at um, two of the shows. I mean, talk me through the whole Snakebit experience. You, you got to meet the guys as well that day, right? Yeah, so I, the tour went on sale, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and, and remember all the details. It was a while ago. Right. The tour went on sale at whatever time, and I bought, through, through the fan club membership, I was able to buy four tickets. So I bought four tickets for me and some friends in the lower bowl. Really good seats, they ended up being, and then entered for the contest to win meet and greet passes for both of the shows mm-hmm. in Edmonton. Because you have to have a ticket. Like if, they don't give you a ticket to the show, so if you don't have a ticket, you actually can't get in yeah. to do the thing. So, so I bought tickets to the to both shows because as if they're going to be here and i'm not going mm-hmm. um, and then entered the draw and then one day at work just randomly got the email that i was i was checking every day every 10 minutes for that matter because they were saying we're going to announce the winners on this wednesday so f5 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 and then the email comes in and i, I won the meet and greet passes which is fantastic so you get one meet and greet pass and then a pair this i found it later on i didn't know this when i entered you also got a pair of snake pit passes mm. and that was just like I mean, that's the cherry on top. I didn't, I didn't expect it. It was a very welcome thing. Sadly, it meant that uh, two of my friends had to watch the concert on their own without me and the other guy. Yeah. But fuck them, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. So we get to uh, get to the venue early, and and they take us backstage, um, or well, sort of in the bowels of Rexall Place to this sort of green room area. Uh, I tried to take photos of the gear, and the the security guy yelled at me, so I had to stop. Because <laughs> I mean, there were there's. Uh, to be expected there's just crates and crates and crates and crates of yeah. gear with the logo all over it and there's some of the like the 3d um live footage like preview screens were set up already mm-hmm. so i was trying to get photos of that to, to sort of behind the scenes not just for my own knowledge and and the guy yelled at me so that stopped and then we go into the room and meet the guys and that part was cool and i mentioned that they're on the episode mm-hmm. they were they were just awesome i mean they were more more kind than they had any right to be there was no handler there pushing people along and, and saying oh you, that's that's your time you got to move on to the next one james talked to, to a guy for about 10 50 minutes about back injuries and wow. lars was quizzing people on local trivia which he didn't have to do but put the yeah. time into find anyway uh and then yeah they say just come back to this spot at whatever time and we'll take you to the snake pit so now you've seen the movie now the stage however you want to describe it a squished x or maybe a letter h with a thick middle however it's effectively a rectangle with two notches cut out of each end and each of those was its own snake pit. One side is Lars and Kirk. The other side is James and Rob, as far as their entry point to the stage. Mm-hmm. So we meet at the, at, the, at the thing, and they're starting to kind of split us up. And it was actually my friend Gord that came with me that, that pointed out that where we were standing wasn't the best spot to get a good s- slot in the snake pit. So we kind of moved off to one side. And then this big, big, big security guard dude who's in the movie uh, uh, leads us through the arena into the snake pit. And... We got set up in the Lars and Kirk half of it, and they had a railing for about half the crowd, and then there was nothing in front of me. We were right in the front of it, like if you're looking from where we're standing towards the stage, we're right in the front of the snake pit, right up against one of the other walls. So there was nothing. I could have reached out and touched a guitar. The only thing in between me and all that stuff was this tiny little security woman who looked at me and and Gort and said, you guys aren't going to give me any trouble, are you? And as if we were going to come that close and go, oh, yeah, no, we're going to fuck it up now by being a dick. <laughs> yeah. So, and that was, there was, there was no, uh, no crowding. Didn't, there was, we had lots of space. It was, I mean, just the best place to watch the concert from. Then you're right in the middle of everything. You feel every fireball and the band's walking around you all the time because they had that sort of walkway around us for the band to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, watching it from there was great. The only downside, of course, is we knew that the stage was doing something and we just couldn't see it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what IMAX is for, you know. So uh, eventually, it did come I'll around. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, yeah, just some final things about the movie as well. Uh, apparently, Anton Corbin 
was offered to helm the project. He obviously did many, many Metallica videos, but he was doing his thriller, A Most Wanted Man, which I think was one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's final films, so he wasn't able to do it. And I'm sure you're aware as well, Phil, that um, at the Orion, one of the Orion festivals, they played the entirety of Kill 'Em All back to front. And the name of the band was Dehan, after Dane Dehan. Yeah. Which is, yeah, really like that. And Dehan, what a, like that, they could legit be a Polish metal band like. <laughs> or something yeah, like sure. that. Yeah, I don't mean to be pejorative, but, you know, something like that. But, yeah, that was really cool. And another cool thing as well, it's just a minor thing. Apparently, got to love IMDb trivia. Apparently, the film is dedicated to the memory of Mark Fisher. He's named in the final credits. He was a British architect who died shortly after the making of the film, who was renowned for his rock stage designs. And I'm just on this guy's page now, and fuck me, he seems to have done everything. So he's worked with Rolling Stones, did the U2, did their famous Claw, that was, one I think, one of the highest grossing tours ever. Um, the Wall, he designed the Wall stuff as well yeah. for Pink Floyd, Madonna, Lady Gaga, uh, Death Magnetic, uh, Genesis. Apparently, there was a show at the Millennium Dome in the 2000s that he did as well, Cirque du Soleil. So, uh, yeah, RIP to that guy. That was pretty cool. And um, it was directed by Nimrod Antal, who I had heard of before this, and I was just racking my brains and trying not to just do that, um, you know, impulse to go to IMDb. But eventually, I went to it. And the only film he did that I actually saw in the cinema, which is kind of a forgettable film, I don't know if you remember Predators. It was like a oh, sort of sequel, sequel to Predator. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that was him. The, so there you go. And uh, you know, so yeah, he did a little bit of work here. Um, again, it's kind of weird. Like I'm, you know, I'm sure you've seen it as well. The documentary did about Through the Never. So there's one segment about the director. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. They're gonna do loads of stuff about Nimron and his his thought process and da da da. But I don't know if you remember. Half of the seven minute clip is them not being able to work Skype in Q Prime offices. It's like, why is this in here? <laughs> Yeah, that was like, I'm in IT, so I felt bad for that kid that had to keep coming back in to try and fix the hey, Skype session. Oh, uh, Otis, he was called, yeah? And <laughs> yes, did you yeah. notice his surname? Have some control. Well, his surname was Bernstein, so he must be like a, a cousin or a son or something like that. That nepotism. I'm sorry, like, yeah, if my, if my uncle works at Q Prime, I'm working there as well, you know? Hell yeah. And, you know, of course, this was a film. So it went out to film critics, to people who don't give a fuck about Metallica. And one of the things I like to look at is Metacritic, where it got a 61, which is a pretty reasonable score. You know, it got everything from really good reviews, from the playlist. It said it's one of the most unexpectedly enjoyable cinematic experience of the year, even if you couldn't pick a Metallica track out of a playlist. And then more negative stuff. The LA Times said... The problem is that Antel and Metallica took two different movies, a fine live band document and a supernatural end of days romp, and smashed them together to make both of them more boring. Uh, do you agree with that? No, absolutely not. No. Um, I mean, yeah, I could sort of see why people, again, like we say, would, would poo-poo, uh, Dane, Trip, all that sort of stuff, but like the quality shines through, and ultimately what you're getting here is a pretty definitive live portrait of the band at the peak of their powers. Absolutely. And there was, there was even talk of putting out a version of it because when they when they announced that it was going to come out on, on DVD and Blu-ray they were talking about doing two different cuts well three really the mm. film that as, as was shown in theaters and then one that was just all the concert footage including the songs that were cut and then one that was just the narrative all you know sort of in a straight run film by itself and that for whatever reason that never materialized yes yeah curious that and um you know one of the main things that people remember about the film is that it was a giant failure essentially not necessarily critically but financially i don't think it made much money at all a couple of mil and um kirk was actually interviewed about this and he said quote our fans definitely went to the movie theaters and saw the film but the people that we were counting on to buy movie tickets which was a casual moviegoer they weren't as motivated to buy a ticket as our fans for us that was a big question mark why we couldn't figure it out we know we made a great move and we felt good about it but now it's time for us to move on to our next thing now it's interesting isn't it because snm2 also released in cinemas huge smash like absolute like phenomenon i think opened all around the world i'm pretty sure they did multiple dates and you know so like even me in little oxford like i think there was like three or four cinemas here that were playing it and when i went there was loads of people there so um what do you think through the never bombed i really don't know i think I, I i honestly have a hard time like i know the boys have been really really it's a few years after it came out there was a lot of press about just what a failure it was and yeah, they spent soul searching yeah I mean, they're not wrong. The, the hardcore fans absolutely went and saw it. They just couldn't get any 
sort of walk by traffic. No one who wasn't already a fan was going to this movie. No, no, definitely not. And um, you know, I think I think S and M two, you know, sequels have that built-in audience, don't they? And people know what S and M is, and people are really excited by it. But yeah, Through the Never was just a little bit more oblique of an offering, perhaps, and people just weren't really on that wavelength but as we always do guys we reach out to you on the twitter to see what you think and um, we've got a few responses here at metallica pod ralph says the live performances are really a treat for both the eyes and the ears one of their best sounding live performances ever i really wish i could have caught one of those full arsenal shows it seemed epic the storyline itself that weaves in and out the live performances is a bit flimsy although i honestly don't give a day frog's ass as there's still some stunning action sequences and visuals contained within that that make up for it what it really comes down to though is the music and that's just phenomenal Gary says very unique and entertaining. Schmick says they're trying to do something unique, but it doesn't really work in my opinion. It's all about the music as far as most fans are concerned. Just the content about the storyline would work better. Eventually they should do a biopic like Bohemian Rhapsody or The Dirt. I mean, Phil, a Metallica narrative film in the next 20 years? Can you see it? Not really. No. I think I think this is this will shy them off of film forever. Yeah, probably, probably. And a uh, few more offerings here. John says, really disappointed. I watched it in IMAX. Metallica were great, but the narrative was utter guff. I mean, that seems to be quite a consensus there. Bob says, I saw it in 3D IMAX, and during Ecstasy Gold, actually felt like I was up in the stands at a show. The best 3D movie experience I've ever had. I just wish the extras packed special edition Blu-ray we'd had, we'd promised, actually happened. Robert says, loved it. Helped me get back into the band, but the promotion for the film could have been so much better. And finally, Paul says, I saw it in 3D IMAX. I don't really like the storyline. However, the music and all the the effects of the movie were great i also remember the theater being loud as fuck um phil any final thoughts on metallica colon through the never yeah a couple i was really surprised at some of the songs that and i, I keep coming back to this because i just mm. couldn't believe yeah what that, do you have the full set list like, what, what, what didn't they what didn't they show in the film so with the obvious ones being the full versions of uh, battery master puppets and uh wherever i'm at home mm-hmm. sad but true a bass solo a guitar solo Welcome Home Sanitarium, Fade to Black, and most surprisingly for me, Seek and Destroy. Because the documentary spends a lot of time, not a lot of time, but that big, large toy the sword coming out, that couldn't have been cheap. And it didn't make the movie. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, they totally... And yeah, it, it, it really is spoken about the most in the documentary. And it's a really kind of fascinating prospect just seeing that sword rise. But yeah, why did they... Why, why can't you put another five minutes on a 90-minute film? Like, uh, That's exactly my point. If Unless it was just for the IMAX thing, which that would have been tough to get it. But I'm sure there's been long... Well, fucking Batman was in the IMAX. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the, the Dark Knight was on IMAX, wasn't it? That's like two hours and a bit, yeah, so... So why that stuff wasn't in there, I don't know. And hmm. specifically why it wasn't released eventually uh, on, on disc, I don't understand. Even no. just as bonus footage. Yeah, no, me too, me too. They shot it right? so why the fuck not? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I was slightly underwhelmed, but, you know, entertained by the Dane DeHaan sequences. Um, but, but, yeah, as we said before, this is all about seeing the band live and they are cooking in this one they seem to realize that not even the pressure's on because they've done bigger shows with higher stakes but that they just rise to the occasion as they always do and they were phenomenal here so um yeah as always guys you can follow us at metallica pod get in touch with metallica pod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show you want to discuss something you know there's so much stuff that i still need to cover i still need to cover the anniversary shows uh which i really really want to get into you know for the jason episode i've been re-watching when he played with the battle that harvester version is so good uh so yeah i want to talk about all three days of that needs to do some kind of monster episode um i want to do more episodes on on the so what magazine and stuff like that so yeah again if you enjoy the show you can support us on patreon you can go onto itunes you can also leave us a review go onto itunes see what people have been saying about the show as well at metallica pod on the twitter you just heard some of the feedback there i always ask for all your feedback on all the topics we go through and it's great to hear from you guys go back through the archives as well check out our discussions on ronnie and stone dead forever and you know all the other discussions with all the other listeners that i've had um phil what about yourself is there anything you'd like to promote there is actually uh the last time i was on i kind of teased that i was working on a podcast on oh, my yes. own and hopefully well not hopefully do you know when this is when are you posting this up this will be uh probably in a few weeks probably like two weeks uh like on youtube and stuff yeah okay perfect so my goal is to go live later on today slash early tomorrow um but i've got three episodes in the can the podcast is going live it's called collecting tales 
Uh, it's like I mentioned before, it's very much a vanity project of me just talking to people I find interesting about stuff that either that they're passionate about or that I want to learn more about. Right. Uh, three episodes done. The first one's about wrestling with some friends of mine. The second one that people of your audience might be interested in is about Metallica, some kind of monster. Mm. But he has his own podcast called Modern Manhood, and it's a view of masculinity from various perspectives. And I get his thoughts on the whole uh, story of that movie. And what's the third one about? Third one is uh, another friend of mine, local musician, and it's 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 kind of more about collecting music and and the the different forms that's taken over the different formats and media that music. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, you have to send me a link, and we'll put that down below, and people can go check that out, and uh, you know get in touch with you. And um, yeah, guys, this has been another edition of Alf Metallica. I know the episodes aren't coming quite as regularly as they used to because they run out of Metallica songs. There's no more to go. So uh, when they release. If I could, t- just uh, congratulations, man. That's a hell oh, of an undertaking. Thank you. Thank you. No, I, I, I appreciate Excellent. it. Yeah. No, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, again, I want to just say thank you to everyone that came on as well. I w- wouldn't have certainly been able to do it solo. And it wouldn't have been as fun either. So, uh, yeah, thank you to you, Phil, as well, for coming on today and all the old episodes. And I particularly remember we had a good laugh with the Ronnie one. I think we went through that well. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. A, a lot of listeners didn't, though, because I looked on iTunes, and it doesn't seem to be one of the more popular episodes oh, for some right. <laughs> I don't have that many <laughs> listeners, though, so I wouldn't take that sample search as uh, <laughs> sample size as too much of it. So, uh, yeah, again, guys, uh, follow us on Patreon, iTunes, all that sort of stuff. Go check out Through the Never. If you've not watched it, go give it a rewatch. And, uh, Phil, thanks again. Anytime, man. Thanks so much. 